This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Uh, this is an 1844 Revolution in the Most Holy Place, Part 2. Uh, the larger title called Revolution of Destiny in the Sanctuary Context. I hope that all of you, number one, you're happy to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Number two, you're more confident in your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, that you want to know your Bibles more. Amen? And that's, uh, those are the three things that I really look at is Adventism, Bible-based, and Christ-centered. And it's, it's, it, it, priority-wise, it's the other way around, but I just think of ABC, yeah? Adventist, appropriately Adventist, Bible-based, and Christ-centered, but in priority, it's the other way around. Christ first, Bible two, Adventist third. I don't know what that means, but that's, that's the way I see it, okay? Uh, the priority part, I mean. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. Gracious Lord, once again, we bow our heads, and we acknowledge uh, your sacredness and our profanity. And uh, we, are, we are desperately wicked, and we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We need the, the expansion of our hearts beyond our, our sinful limitations to, to even appreciate uh, sacred truths. So, Father, I ask that uh, in this room, cleanse the sins off the lips of the speaker, off of the, the ears of those who listen, and that uh, even we may be part of the reflection of Jesus Christ in all the universe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great Controversy, page 409. The scripture, which above all others, has been both the foundation and the essential pillar of the Amish faith, was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be, what? Cleansed. That's uh, Daniel 8.14. These prophetic days has been shown to terminate in the autumn of 1844. In common with the rest of the Christian world, Adventists then held that the earth, and, or some portion of it, was the sanctuary. They understood that the cleansing of the sanctuary was the purification of the earth by the fires of the last day, and that this would take place at the second advent, Hence, the conclusion that Christ would return to the earth in 1844, and this we found to be incorrect and unbiblical. Amen, friends? We see that Satan is not happy with the sanctuary. Satan hates the sanctuary, and the Bible also records Satan's plan to bring the sanctuary down. In Revelation 13, verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his what? Name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Uh, the tabernacle is a symbol of God's providence, God's um, uh, his plan to save the world, a reflection of his character, and Satan hates that. Daniel 8.11, Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was what? Was cast down. We're going to talk about what this casting down means. In Daniel 8, if you, have Daniel, if you have your Bibles, open to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. While you're turning there, the book of Daniel has been written in two languages. It's been written in Aramaic and Hebrew. Daniel chapter 1 and 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew. 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. You may be wondering what, what's the big deal about that. Hebrew was commonly then only read by other Hebrews. Yes? Aramaic was read and understood by everyone. It was the English of their day. 
Um, how many of you here is English not your first language? Yet you all speak English, yes? It is in, in today's culture, if you don't speak English, you have a hard time linking in to the globalized world. Back then, Aramaic was the, the, the globalized language that, that brought all the, the countries together. And if you look at the, the, the council found in Daniel 2 through 7, 2 through 7 being written in Aramaic was for Babylon. It was for all the nations to understand. So Daniel chapter 2, you have a prophecy for the entire world, yes? Daniel chapter 7, you have a prophecy of the entire world. Then you go to chapter 8, and all of a sudden Daniel chapter 8 is in Hebrew, meaning this was for the understanding of the who? The Israel. Israel. Uh, and then very interesting in chapter 8, there are two main animals. The third one not being directly mentioned, but there is a ram and a goat, yes? And this ram and a goat are clear allusions back to the Day of Atonement. Okay? So anyone who would, have, who would have read Daniel chapter 8 would have been like, Ah, bananas! I totally understand. This, this makes sense. They're like, Ah, this is, this is Day of Atonement. I got this. Okay, for those of you here for the first time, we're not talking about bananas. Amen? Verse 1. My third year, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto Daniel, after that which appeared unto me after the first. Verse 2, I saw in a vision, and it came into pass, when I saw that I was in Shushan in the palace. Verse 3, let's go to verse 3. I lifted up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, there stood a river, a what? A ram that had two horns, and two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. Verse 4, I saw the ram, which is Medo-Persia, pushing up westward against Babylon, against northward, against Lydia, and southward against Egypt. I'm putting commentary in there. So that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. And he did according to his will and became what? Great. So Medo-Persia is great. Verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth. And touched not a ground. This is Greece. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes, Alexander the Great. And he came to the ram that had two horns. And I had seen him standing before the river and ran unto him in the fury of his power. Verse 7, And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram and broke his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. And he stamped him to the ground, stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore, the he-goat waxed what? Very great. Is there an intensification from the first to the second? The first is just just normal great. But the second one is very great. Verse 8, And when he was strong, the great horn, Alexander, was broken. And if you know Alexander, the dude was like a frat boy. At age 30-something, he drank a Herculean cup of alcohol, and he, he overdosed in alcohol poisoning just by a little bit, and he died. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four notable winds. Oh, I misread that. For it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And verse 8 and 9, this one little phrase can change the direction and Adventism can, can, can break or stand on this. Verse 8 at the end says, For it came upon four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Verse 9, And out of one of what? Now in English, it's very unclear. Out of one of them came, comes the little horn. And a lot of people say, well, out of what? Out of one of the horns or out of one of the winds? 
Which do you think it is? Now, a lot of the evangelical interpretation is it's, it's out of one of the, 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 the horns, and this is where they think that this, this Antichrist is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. How many have heard that name before? Antiochus Epiphanes IV was a brat king of, of, of Greece. Greece broke into four. He's one of the guys. He's, one of, he's, yeah, he's actually one of the, the, the kingdoms. And he comes into Jerusalem, and he takes a pig, and he puts it into the, the most holy place. And to every Jew, that's like, what are you doing? Okay? That's like going to GYC lunch, and there's like real shrimp. Uh, and they're like, what? what? GYC has apostatized. This is the abomination of desert. Desc- anyway, you can. <laughs> verse 8. Avenue scholars have come to realize, verse 8, for it came up four notable ones toward the four notable winds of heaven. Ones, the horns, is feminine. It's what, everybody? But the winds is masculine. Yes? And for those of you who speak a different language, if you speak a romance language like French or, or Spanish, you know that everything has a masculine or a feminine gender to it. In English, we, we don't have that. Okay? Verse 9, out of one of what? Them is masculine. Meaning it's not one of the horns, but one of the directions of heaven. Does that make sense? Verse 9. Out of one of the directions of, of, of north, south, east, or west, one of the directions came forth a little horn which waxed what? So you see, step one here, you see you have a ram. Medo Persia, just great. Next stage, you got Greece, very great. Then you got this little horn, it's what? Exceedingly great. Now, this whole point is this is that a lot of people say that the little horn is not Rome. It's Antiochus Epiphanes IV, this little brat king of, of, of a portion of Greece. But he didn't do anything. He wasn't even well known. Was he more exceedingly great than Greece? No one even knows who he is. Unless you're something Adventist and you're reading all the prophecy books. Okay? And then he kind of has, he was, he, or his, he was a king for, for a long time. They say, well, it's kind of like three and a half years. And it's kind of like... And it's just they kind of mishmash this guy together. Who is the only entity who was greater than Greece that came after Greece? It's Rome. And you see that Rome has two components. Verse 9. Out of one of them comes a little horn, which waxes exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the pleasant land. Meaning they went south to Egypt, they went towards east to Medo-Persia, and then, uh, and, and then towards the pleasant land, towards, towards Israel, towards Palestine. Verse 10. It waxed great even to the host of what? So it's two stages, two stages, okay? One stage, it's going horizontal. Yes? Horizontal, horizontal, horizontal. We call this, another name for this is pagan Rome. We're going to conquer more, more, conquer more, conquer more, conquer more. Then once it's conquered a lot, it doesn't go wide. Now it starts, the missiles go upwards, and now it goes which way? It goes vertical. And now we call that not pagan Rome, but we call it pag- uh, uh, papal Rome. I was going to say pagal. Papal Rome. Okay, papal Rome. Verse 10. And it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamps upon them. Verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was what? 
So this, 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 this entity's little horn, it's, it starts going up, and going, hey, we're going to attack you. And it goes up to heaven, takes the heavenly sanctuary, and throws it down to earth. Now question, can you actually do that? Like, is actually the heavenly sanctuary being uprooted? Did Satan actually go up and he's just like jackhammering in heaven and his gold splatter flying everywhere and he's just throwing blocks down? Is that actually what's going to heaven? No. What's actually happening is he's reproducing a copy of the heavenly sanctuary on earth and he's saying there is no heavenly sanctuary. Don't focus your eyes up in heaven. Focus your eyes here on earth. Salvation is not a priest in heaven. Salvation is a priest on earth. Salvation is not through candlesticks and and a, a table of showbread and an altar of incense in heaven. It is candlesticks and incense and table of showbread on earth. It's down here, not up there. God's not up in heaven. God is here on this earth. Make sense? Amen? Verse 12, a host was given him against a daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. It cast down the truth to the ground, and it what? It practiced, and it what? Prospered. Here, the little horn ignores God's sanctuary. It makes an alternative, alternate system, alternative system. In Daniel 8, we just read that. And it removes God's system. And it emphasizes there's an earthly sacrifice, an earthly leader, earthly priests, an earthly sanctuary, earthly festivals, and an earthly salvation. And we all know what is this system called. It's very interesting that even the word Roman is still used today as an adjective. Roman Catholicism. Yes? Now, there are other denominations that are very similar, like the Eastern Orthodox, they're similar in theology. So we're not blasting all Catholics, amen? We're blasting the system and all, all, also its associated systems along with it. The Antichrist in 8.9, in Daniel 8.9, talks about Antichrist being exceedingly great towards the south and east and pleasant land. In 8.10, it was great even to the host of heaven. In 11 and 12, it's attacking the prince of the host. It's attacking the daily sacrifice. And it's attacking the the place of a sanctuary. Verse 12, it cast down to truth to the ground and practiced and prospered. We read this. Um, Jane Andrews says this. Review and Herald, June 12, 1876. This objection is surely uttered without thought. Where is Christ? In heaven. Can he, while there be trodden underfoot? If so, the sanctuary where he ministers can also be trodden underfoot. Paul says emphatically that Christ is trodden underfoot by a certain class of sinners, crucified afresh and put to an open shame. Of who much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden under the foot of the Son of God? How do they do this? Simply by becoming what? apostate and counting his blood an unholy thing and doing despite, despite, doing dis, despite to the spirit of grace. How do they uh, tread underfoot the, san- not f- food, underfoot the sanctuary by erecting what? Rival sanctuaries and turning mankind away from the, the true. Here you have a system. You have a what? A system that's anti-sanctuary. Now, I went to a Roman Catholic high school for four years. Okay? I'm not a Jesuit. Amen, friends? But if I really was, would I be telling you that up on here? Okay, I'm, I'm kidding. The Catholic system is one 
that's totally biblical, comma, okay? You're like, whoa, 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 I'm in the wrong wrong seminar, okay? It's biblical, but its emphasis is not on Jesus, but on something else. It takes everything from the Old Testament, but it makes it into an earthly manifestation. In the Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's a priesthood, yes? Hey, we need priests on this earth. Do priests have a, a particular way of wearing clothes? Yes, they do. Hey, they need to wear a particular clothes. There's festivals. We also need festivals. There's a sanctuary. We also need a what? A sanctuary. I went to a Roman Catholic school for four years, and there's something called Mass. Something called what, everybody? Mass. And Mass is the means by which your sin is forgiven. Do you understand that? It's the means by which you are forgiven. You cannot be forgiven outside. Now, do all Catholics know this? I don't think Catholics know very much. They're just part of the thing, but whatever. But it's, it's but theological. It's by the means to get rid of sin. And I remember we'd be in class, and then someday we're like, okay, today's Mass Day. We have to go to Mass. Like, oh, I've got to go to Mass. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Why am I in a Catholic church? And there's, there's 40% Protestants, or the Protestants are like, we need to unite. Yes, we're going to unite. Reformation. Reformation. We're not going to go to Mass. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do detention if you don't. Oh, we'll be at Mass. We'll be at Mass. We went to Mass, but we didn't take confession, or we didn't do confession. And I was like, and then we would we'd go to theology class, and our, I would argue with the Father every day. Not the Heavenly Father, but the, the dude with the white little thing on his, on his neck. And like, we argue transubstantiation and consubstantiation and the Mass and the Eucharist and all these things. But they would say an hour before Mass, and some of these who were, were previous Catholics, you know this, right? An hour before you take the Eucharist, you cannot eat anything. Okay? Now, we believe, we have communion also. Amen, friends? Now, we think of it as a memorial, as a commemoration. They are emblems. They, they, they point uh, back and they point forward. and They're, they're signs. They're, they're, they're not real. But they, they, they're, they're, it, is, it, is, it is powerful but not real. Now, they, they'll believe that the actual wafer, did you know all the wafers are made by the same monks in France, all throughout the whole world, and they're manufactured in a the factory. Okay? These wafers become Jesus Christ. It's not a pointing to Jesus. It actually becomes Jesus incarnate inside this little wafer. And what happens is an hour before, you cannot eat anything, even chew gum or drink water. And that's why in Catholic schools, you look underneath their desks and there's gum everywhere. Because if you have gum or if you're eating something and there's something in your stomach, you cannot introduce the Lord Jesus into your stomach with with food in there. Amen? Amen? Now, if you have the Lord Jesus in you, and, you and, and, and can you think of some Bible verses that would, that would kind of work with this? Christ in me is to live because he's really in me, in my stomach. And now he's in me, he's working in me because I'm digesting him. Does it make sense? Now, the whole salvation is dependent on this. And every time they have Mass, they always have communion. And so you, you have these little wafers, and what would happen in the middle of the Mass is you'd have all the, the accoutrements going on, and then the, 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 the priest would actually take the wafer, and he'd raise it up with two hands. And as he, he'd raise this, in the olden cathedral, all cathedrals used to face, uh, face east. The Hebrew sanctuary does not face east, it's face which way? West, away from the sun. And they used to have these big, humongous um, 
uh, uh, stained glass windows. And right around 11 o'clock on Sunday, the sun's day, the sun would shine through this. And the angle of which the, so the light would come through that window would match up with the, with the angle of which the, the priest raises his, his, the, 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 uh, the wafer. And he would say something in Latin that sounds something akin to hocus pocus, of which a lot of musicians have taken that. And they're actually making fun of the, the Catholic priests. And because out of the priest's mouth, he says, hocus pocus, or whatever Latin he says, by saying it, this wafer is magically transformed, transubstantiated with the body and the presence and the gracia of Jesus Christ. From this point on, this becomes the presence of God. He is not in heaven. He is here on earth. How many of you want to partake in this, in this in the presence of God? So what happens in Mass, everyone stands up. And in the olden days, pre-Vatican II, human beings are such sinners, I cannot touch the presence of God. So I will open my mouth, and the priest will place this wafer in my mouth. And I cannot chew Jesus. How many of you dare, how would you dare chew, chew Jesus? You can't chew Jesus. Jesus, and they actually taught this in theology class to me. And I'm like, this is so weird. Jesus needs to melt in your mouth. And I listen to my friends. I'm like, yeah, man, it's kind of weird because the wafer sticks to the roof of your mouth. So you're, you're, you're in worship and you're like, you know, trying to get this off the roof of your mouth. But you don't want to be disrespectful to Jesus, you know, all these things. Now, are there some, uh, not some, are there a lot of sincere Christians? Uh, you know what I'm saying about, yeah. I mean, I met some nuns who are so Christ-centered. I met some fathers who are not Christ-centered at all. Okay. And, and they really believe this. But their focus is not Jesus in heaven. Their focus is Jesus in some kind of weird, weird manifestation here on earth. Now, all cathedrals, upon entering, you have a pool of water. Yes? You go in, there's candles there. You go in during Mass, and they have incense going on. You have priests, and priests wear particular clothes. And by the way, you know, in, the, in Catholicism, there's a calendar, feasts and festivals. You have ordinary time one, ordinary time two. These are green. So you, if you see in front of a Catholic church, you have like green coming down. Or sometimes the, the priests will wear green. It's ordinary time. They're wearing purple. It's paschal season. They're wearing purple. If it's Advent season, they're wearing red. And it's, it's what time? We're actually in this, I think we're in the season of Advent. And there's different festivals, different feasts that they keep. And what happens is, in the Adventist church, when you have communion and you have leftover communion, I don't know about you, when I was little, I used to love communion bread. That was so good, you know? I'd go in the back and I was like, can I have some more? And if they didn't bless it, I'd just like munch on it in the back for before potluck. But if you have some that's leftover and it's blessed, okay, what do you do? Okay, some people will, will go back and then they bury it. Some people will, will burn it. Some people will pour the leftover juice. Or, I don't, there's, there's a, but we don't worship. It's not, the, it's not God. Amen, friends? But what, what they do is with the leftover wafers, this is still in the presence of God. Yes? Are you with me? So they'll go into a back room of which only one person can enter. Guess which room is this? The, the, the priest will go in. And there would be a little, little box of which he puts the leftover wafers in. 
And you also have the, the wine. The wine is, is not, it's not non-alcoholic, amen? It's, it's, it's alcohol. And in high school, man, everyone lined up to get the blood of Jesus. Everyone lined up. I, I didn't, but. And so what happened is this. In that cathedral is the presence of God. In that cathedral is the Shekinah glory. That is the place where you come to meet God. So when a priest, you you probably have seen this, when a priest walks from one side of the church and and goes to the center, he needs to stop and he kneels and he continues walking. How many of you noticed that? He's acknowledging the presence of God in that place. There's also another thing, and and Protestants used to do this. If you visit a Mass, there's nothing wrong with visiting a Mass. You can visit and check it out. I don't recommend it, but, but you can. There's a moment in the Mass where the, where the priest raises it and he says, hocus, pocus, whatever. Sometimes they put it in the, uh, in the sun-shaped thing. They, they extol this thing. Where every Catholic person kneels and they acknowledge the divinity of the wafer. And back in history, every Protestant never kneeled. Not kneeling was a sign of rebellion. Saying, oh, my Lord is in heaven. He's not in this room. Make sense? Now, some people, because we're in a politically correct society, we don't offend Catholics, we also kneel. You kneeling, you're actually uh, uh, deferring to, to the Catholic theology, and there's, there's ramifications of that. There's a whole earthly system. You have a high priest here. You have in his hand. What's in his hand? You have a rod there, but in the rod, you have a lamb there. And whenever the high priest, whenever the, 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 uh, the, the officiating priest enters in, he needs to have this, and it, it has the lamb on there, and this is by which you enter the sanctuary. You have a pool of holy water. It's a reflection of the cleansing labor. You have a table of showbread. Do they have a table with bread on it? They have a, they have a, a candlestick version. They have, they have incense. They're creating an alternate sanctuary here on this earth. Here you have uh, Mr. Benedict. You got candlesticks. You got incense being there. You got different colors, gold everywhere, purple. One color that's missing is blue. Amen, friends? In, uh, in Revelation, all the colors of the sanctuary are mentioned except for the color blue. He's kissing. He's acknowledging the divinity. They have confession. Okay, when you take confession, the priest becomes the Lord Jesus Christ. The priest becomes Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there was one time next to my locker, a guy, uh, he was a hockey player, and uh, we, we, went, we went to theology class together. And what happened is he cheated on his theology class. He's a hockey player, not too bright. And uh, not that all hockey players are not bright. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that at all. But he was smart in this sense. He wrote all the answers to the test on the bottom of his shoe. And so then he sat and he crossed his legs and he just flicked underneath his shoe and all the answers were there and he, he cheated. Well, one time in the, uh, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were opening confession and uh, the guy that taught theology class was the guy that was the, that was the confessor. And he was sweating bullets. He's like, man, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I cheated on his test, but I got to confess the sin to him. What do I do? And so I was like, oh, you know, that doesn't matter. Just, you know, confess the Lord Jesus. You know, if you confess your sins, he is 
You know, he's going to forgive you. No, man, I'm going to confess to him. And he, and he, he was battling with, with salvation at that moment. And I was a high school student. So I didn't know better. I'm like, dude, you know, you're, you're just a weird Catholic, bro. And you're just, you know, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say at all. Um, later on, he says, you know what? I need to be saved. So he goes in and he, and he goes to confess. He says, Father, you know, it's been about four weeks since I've taken confession. And, uh, and uh, you know, and then you've got to record every sin. You know, on, on April 4th, I, I, I lied five times. I, I watched this channel that I shouldn't have. And I punched my mom in the face. And then I, I, I you, know, you know, bombed Cuba. And then I came back and, will you forgive me? And I cheated on your, on your theology test. Whatever, whatever, whatever. At that moment, it was very telling. Because when he came back from confession, I was like curious. Like, dude, what did he do? Did he, like, did he fail you or what's going to happen? Because if he didn't pass that test, he would have failed theology. If he, if he failed theology, he would not play hockey. If he didn't play hockey, he wouldn't get a hockey scholarship. Okay? So, so this all thing is pending on this one test. That's why he cheated. And he said the priest said it's okay. Because when he's a teacher, he's a teacher. But when he's a confessor, he's God incarnate. And he doesn't know about his human activities. He's actually taking on the mantle of Jesus Christ. Now, who is he? He's just a human being like you and me. Amen, friends? Our only confessor, our only mediator is one person. Amen? It's not even your pastor. Amen, friends? You confess your sins to your pastor. You've just made him Catholic and you've become Catholic. And you've torn down the sanctuary from heaven to this earth. Here you see the sun imagery, and we won't get into that. After Daniel sees this, Daniel's flipping out. Verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint, saint said unto, the, uh, unto that certain saint, saint which spake. Oh man, I don't know why I'm stuttering today. Verse, forgive me. Verse 13. How long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the, 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 the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and to the host be trodden underfoot. And forward, verse 14, he said unto me, unto 2,300 days. Daniel's worries, like, what are you, what's going, this, you mean your holy sanctuary is going to be, how long are you going to allow this to happen? Guy says, 2,300 years, according to the day year principle. That question basically means this. Lord, how long before God ends persecution of his saints? How long before God restores truth to its rightful place? How long before Jesus is going to be our high priest in heaven? How long before God restores the true heavenly sanctuary to his people? How long before God restores his church to its original purity? I mean, the whole world is waiting for the heavenly sanctuary to be completely revealed in its purest form, in 1844. The whole world is waiting for the emergence of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Not because we're awesome, but he's given to a group of people the truth about the heavenly sanctuary. Does that make sense? The Seventh-day Adventist movement hasn't been around, and it was foretold that something was going to happen in 1844. Here you have the most holy place, holy place, and the courtyard ministries. We talked about yesterday. You have the seven churches near the, near the, uh, the lampstand. You have the seven seals near the, uh, the table of showbread and the seven trumpets. And these three things are happening simultaneously, paralleling the three septets in the holy place ministry of Jesus. 
Then you have the seven plagues happening in the most holy place. And this is occurring from chapters 12 through 20. 12 through 20. Recapitulation is happening from AD 31 onwards. You have the seven churches. It starts with Ephesus, the pure apostolic church, and it ends with Laodicea, or another word, are the people who are what? And yesterday I did make a mistake in my comments. I was so excited. I said, there is no commendation for the church of Thyatira. A brother came up and says, hey, there is commendation, and, and God has good things to say about the apostate church. Okay? It's just one-liner. <laughs> and then he has four and four verses that rebukes this church. And then I looked last night, the one church where he does not have a lot of encouragement to is the last church of Laodicea. Because you have a lot. You have this, you have this, and you have this. I wish you were hot or cold, but you are what? You have the seven seals. You have the sealing of the foreheads. And here, in the seven churches we covered yesterday, that Jesus is in the midst of these churches. He's, He's with them. He's being with them. In the seven seals, he's defending his church. It starts out with the victorious white horse of the early church, and it ends with silence in heaven. It's ending with silence in heaven because everyone in heaven is gone because they're where? They're coming here, right? When Jesus says, I'm going to bring all my angels, who's in heaven? There's no one in heaven. Okay. And you have the seven trumpets, and you have seven trumpets. You have the God's people are offering up their prayers, and here Jesus is answering their prayers. And the seven trumpets record of how Jesus answers and defends his people in the last days. It starts with hail and fire. It goes with the, how he defends against the, well, we won't get into the seven trumpets. And he ends with the coming of Jesus. Okay? These three things are happening between A.D. 31 to 1844. Now in Revelation eleven nineteen, you see the beginning of the judgment. The, tab- the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. There was lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great what? Great hail. And great hail is alluding to judgment imagery here. During Paul's time in Acts 24, verse 25, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and what to what? Judgment to what? Meaning the judgment occurred then. In Paul's day, judgment was something still in the future. 1731, because he has appointed a day in the which he will what? Judge the world. See, some people are saying this. When Jesus died, and he went upstairs. He went upstairs, boom, he's judged right now. The judgment is happening right now, uh, in, in, in Paul's day, right then. But what, what Paul's saying is, hey, it's in the future. It's in the future. Meaning, he knew something was going to happen in 1844. Romans 2.16. In that day when God shall what? Judge. Again, it's future. So we say, see this. You take Daniel 7, Daniel 8. And you guys should know this here. In Daniel 7, you have the lion, the bear, the leopard, the beast. They have the ten horns divided Rome. You have the little horn, that's papal Rome. And you have the judgment in heaven and the second coming of Jesus. This is the timeline of Daniel 7. Then you compare that to the timeline of Daniel 8. You got the ram of Medo-Persia, the goat of Greece, the little horn horizontal, which is pagan Rome, the little, little horn going vertical, which is papal Rome. And after that, the sanctuary is cleansed. These two things are paralleling each other. If this is clear, please say amen. amen. Judging in heaven and cleansing of sanctuary are exactly the same thing. Amen? Daniel 7, you have judgment. Daniel 8, you have sanctuary being cleansed. So judgment equals cleansing of sanctuary. In Daniel, uh, Leviticus 16, you have the word atonement, which is another word for being cleansed. In Daniel 8, 14, you have the word being justified. It means righteous. In Job 14, 7, righteous. All these words mean the same thing. To make right, to be cleansed, to be pure, bringing things to their original, making things right. Okay? 
Sure. Again, judging is not a British judge. Amen, friends? It's not this dude who has, whose, your name comes forward, and he's like, Justin, let me see your, your, let me see your sins. And sins, 4,933 sins. How many righteous things have you done? Two. 4,933 minus two is 4,300, whatever, whatever. That is negative. And an elevator opens. Ding. You go in and you go downstairs. That is not judgment. <laughs> but a lot of people think that's judgment. And in Adventism, we just take the, the British guy out and we put Jesus in there. And Jesus is there and is like, Justin. And we think, eyes of fire. And he's like, oh. That's not judgment, friends. Judgment was given to the saints, according to Daniel 7. Meaning, in favor of. Meaning, Jesus says, man, your sins are already forgiven. Now we're going we're gonna to purge the record for the entire universe to see. It's a second stage, defending, okay? making things right, purity. Um, these things must be understood. Uh, and I, this, this slide is basically say a lot of people are like, man, I don't understand this. Here, the whole point in verse 16, Gabriel, make this man to what? Understand the vision. Verse 17, he said unto me, understand, O son of man. Verse 26, the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true, I don't know why that verse is there. Verse 27, but no one understood it. In verse, uh, chapter 9, you hear verse 22, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and what? Understanding. Can these things be understood? Can book of Revelation be understood? Ironically, the two books that say you need to understand, we think are two books that are most difficult to understand. Okay? Let us embrace these books, friends. Revelation 4.16, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is to come. Is that what it says? For His hour of His judgment is in the future. It's what? It's now. Meaning there is a foretold movement that goes around the world that says, Hey friends, judgment is happening right now. Seventh-day Adventism is a real-time religion. Amen? It's happening now. So last yesterday, we talked about the three frogs. Three frogs are the three spirits that go throughout the whole earth, all recorded in Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 14, you have the three angels that go around the whole world. And these three movements are going around the whole world and making the whole world deceive, uh, uh, decide between frogs and angels. Anyone know why frogs? We talked about yesterday. The frogs are Satan's last attempt to counterfeit God. Amen? Why three angels? In the Old Testament, when did three angels come visit someone? Abraham and Lot. Three angels came, yes? Say, hey, what's going to happen? Judgment's going to happen on Sodom and Gomorrah. Why in the investigative and pre-advance judgment in Daniel 7 and 9, 7, 7, 9, I beheld until the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Remember yesterday when we talked about the wheels? Lord's got wheels, okay? Verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. There are three phases of judgment, friends. Three phases. 
The first phase is called the investigative judgment. The investigative judgment sounds scary, yes? The investigative judgment. You know, you, you put a British accent to it, it sounds really, really scary. The investigative judgment is not for us. It's for who? It's for all the universe to see. It's for all the, all the angels. Okay? God has decided, but he needs to reveal this, this, this decision to all the universe. Does that make sense? One little, uh, one angel out there, or one Ewok, or one Vulcan, or one, one whatever weird alien people that we'll meet in the future who are totally sinless will be saying, uh, uh, they're raising their hands, uh, Jesus, I have a question. Uh, we've been watching on, on the Earth Channel. We only get one channel in all the universe. We've been watching Justin, and um, he just punched his sister the other day. And uh, you just said that he's going to come to heaven. We're kind of worried about him because if he comes and he's going to visit us, he's going to punch us. And we're, Are you sure about this, Jesus? And so Jesus says, well, let me show you. And he opens the, the library and says, yes, Jesus did punch his sister. But the day after he... Re- <laughs> what did it say? Oh, what did, what, what? oh I, I punched Jesus. Uh, no, not Jesus, but... <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I punched my sister, yes? I don't have a sister. I'm just using this. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? This is a hypothetical sin, right? Because I don't have sins like that, okay? I have other worse ones for sure. I sinned, but the Lord says, hey, universe. But there's also this. He repented. And then, and then and I don't know how he does it. Look at, look at his heart DNA. And this was a real repentance. And he was really sorry for it. And by the way, I died for him. And then the Ewoks are like, oh, okay, okay. Well, hey, we like him. Hey, let's bring him on. And they're like, okay, okay. This is what's happening inside that room. Amen? Millennial judgment. Second part. This judgment is to the redeemed. When we all go to heaven, we're not going to go to Disney World for a thousand years. We're not going to be talking to Nebuchadnezzar and Moses and, and having tea parties with them that are decaffeinated. We're not going to eat, you know, grapefruits that's the size of watermelons. That's not what we're going to do in heaven. Because a lot of people say, I'm going to be bored in heaven after a million years. Well, if you're going to go to heaven for activities, you will be bored. Yes? But for a thousand years, during the millennium, we're going to go upstairs and we're going to do research. And when I go to heaven, I expect my grandmother to be there. My grandmother is the matriarch of our faith. And if she's not there, I'm going to have raising my hand up. And when I look in heaven and an Adolf Hitler is sitting there, and I'm not saying Adolf Hitler's going to be, not, I don't know, I'm not making a judgment call. But if my grandmother's not there, but Adolf Hitler is there, I'm going to have a, I'm gonna, Jesus, I got a question I got to ask you. <laughs> what in the world, Jesus? Like, who, what's going on here? And next one's like Osama bin Laden, and like always being like, what? Did I wake up at the wrong time? Like, what's going on? Okay. Jesus, at that time, will open up the libraries again. And then he'll take out a DVD that says my grandmother's name on it. He'll put it into the golden DVD with like 3D Blu-ray, you know, reality experience thing. And he'll go through my grandmother's life. And he'll show my, mom, my grandmother praying, but behind the scenes she's smoking a cigarette. And she's selling nuclear weapons to Afghanistan and all these things. <laughs> Stuff that we don't know. Should we judge other human beings? No. no. But we'll ha- we partaking in that. That's why Paul is saying... How dare we fight with other church members? Don't you know we're going to be judging the saints in the future? That's what he's saying. 
Let's play the role of priest kings now on this earth. And then we're going to look at, I'm like, okay, well, I understand about grandma. I'm really bummed about that. But, but Adolf Hitler, Lord? Hold on. He puts out the Adolf Hitler. I mean, this is all hypothetical. I'm using that as an example. And DVD puts it in, and Adolf Hitler, and shows you all the, the Holocaust. But on his deathbed, he's clinging to Jesus Christ and asking for forgiveness. Jesus, in his providence and in his, the spaciousness of his character, will he forgive even Adolf Hitler? Okay. Now, for the record, I'm not saying Adolf Hitler is going to be in heaven. I'm, not saying, I'm just using that as an example. But this millennial judgment is for the who? It's for the redeemed. Then you're going to be an executive judgment. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, um, why do you kill people and then resurrect them and then kill them again? You know what I mean? Like I, I heard a pastor once, and he was saying like, if he were Jesus and, and he hated someone, one way to, to really torture them is like, live, die, live, die, live, die. And that's a very, very, very sadistic thing to do. But in many ways, it kind of seems like, Jesus, are you doing that? Like, resurrect, die, resurrect, die. The reason why he does this at the end is do the wicked know why they're, why they're not saved? They have no idea. So there's another judgment component going on there. Not a lot of, so we don't know much, but we know at the end of it, at the end of that judgment, everyone will say, you are just. You are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and we accept all the judgment calls you've made. Do you understand when there's three portions? Daniel 7.22, until the Ancient of Days was come, uh, came, the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Okay? Judgment was given. In the Hebrew, it was given in favor of. Judgment is not trying to find out which hidden sins. The Lord knows all these things, but He's trying to give it in your favor. Our assurance, Romans 8.34, Who is He that condemneth? It is Jesus that died, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh, maketh intercession for us. Our assurance of our faith was at the cross. Amen? The cross is the beginning and the most important factor of our salvation. But there are other components being played out in the sanctuary. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I wrote unto you, that you sin not. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord who? Jesus Christ, righteous. The assurance of our faith is in one person. The Lamb of God. The blood of Jesus. The high priest of heaven. The, the manifestation of the sanctuary on this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. He, in Hebrews, Christ is the better sacrifice. Christ is the better leader. He's the better head. Christ is the better priest. Christ is our salvation. Amen, friends? That's the whole point of Hebrews. Judgment is not about who sinned. It's all, all have sinned. That's not, that's like, uh, you know, you don't even, that's not a huge... Judgment is about who is what? Forgiven. Judgment is about who is being sanctified. Judgment is about who are about to be glorified. Only some have accepted these things, and judgment is trying to find out who. How many of you are glad that the hour of judgment is now? Your full assurance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering, like, what does it mean to be judged? He's not British. Amen, guys? He's not British. He's the, he's the same judge in the book of Judges. He's the true Samson. Not the Samson who falls around with Delilah. 
But he's the strongest man on earth who defends his people from the Philistines. How many of you want to be part of this judgment? And how many of you want to wait until he comes out and greet him with all joy? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the good news of the judgment. And Father, may it sink deep into our hearts, take root. And Father, help us to share the good news of the judgment to the whole world. The whole world is suffering because they have a misunderstanding of hell and they hate you for that. They have a misunderstanding of judgment and they hate you for that. They have a misunderstanding of sin and forgiveness and repentance and they hate you for that. But Father, we love you. And we want everyone to understand of your true character. We know that's what you're doing in the heavenly sanctuary. Father, use us. Use us in evangelism. Use us in our friendship. Use us in our workplaces. Use us in our, in our, in our, in our institutes of ed- education. Use us in our theses. Use us in our projects that we, we come up, that, we, that we produce out of our hands. Use us as we're raising our kids. That your character may shine forth brilliantly in this world. We can't do this by ourselves. We ask for your help. We pray in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.